going up? Welcome to the Pop Tower Podcast with your host, the man behind the myth, Peter Dawson, and the soulful lord, James Bullock. episode 143 of the Pop Tower Podcast. I am Peter W. Dawson. And I am James. I've got the music in me, Bullock. And this is take two of this <laughs> intro. Hey, Peter's audio might sound a little weirder this episode. There's a reason for that. Uh, did you know drivers can fail mid-recording? Yes. I yes. didn't. <laughs> I am a little sad because we had some funny banter at the beginning. Yes, we did. <laughs> so we're doing... Um, I'm not even going to do the usual thing, as I just had to explain that. So. No, that's no point. <laughs> that was too, we had such a little natural bit, and we lost it, so there's no point. Uh, I'm so sad. I know. Uh, so we're going to be talking about three things this week, uh, a game and, and two movies. Mm-hmm. We've got the Dark Pictures Anthology, The Devil and Me. Yes. We've got Strange World, and we've got Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Yes. So let's just dive right into it. And if you're oh, but if you're upset, we're not talking about a show this week. Our next episode, which drops on the thirtieth, is going to be our 2022 show and review show. Yes, yes. Show and review. Show. <laughs> uh, so the Dark Picture Anthology we've talked about a bit before on this uh, podcast. It is the Supermassive Games uh, series of um, basically choose your own adventure, walking sim. What's the what's the is there a formal title for these interactive, interactive drama. drama? Yes, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one for it. It actually really is. It does roll off the tongue very well. And uh, they all tend to be kind of survival horror in a way, but not in like a Resident Evil way or even a Alone in the Dark kind of way. No, no, no. He said just pretty much, hey, you know, like I said it's closer to like The Walking Simulator, very similar to like Telltale Games. Yeah. Just a little bit more freedom in terms of actually walking. Yeah, well, especially with this one, we'll get to that. Uh, so the previous ones in this season, which is now complete, are um, Man of Badan, mm-hmm. Little Hope, and House of Ashes. Yes. House of Ashes. I think it's, it's, it's like I said something else. <laughs> uh, uh, Man of Badan was fine, but I really hated most of the first act. I, I completely agree. And then it kind of fell apart with the third. Yeah. Uh, little Hope was uh, solid enough. Yeah, Little Hope was good. Not... And then they decided to have a unique twist. And the twist kind of... Kneecap them? Yeah, very much so. Oh, yeah, yeah. It just ruins a lot of the idea of, like, hey, if you want to play this game multiple times. Yeah, good luck with that, buddy. Yeah. Uh, um, House of Ashes, I'm going to say it, it's still probably the best of the four. Yeah, even after this one, no, it's still the best one. Yeah. And, like, I kind of like what they've been doing where they've been having some seemingly be supernatural and some maybe uh, not so much. So you're kind of left guessing. What's real and what isn't. Yeah, yeah, like which one's actually supernatural and which one's, uh, and so it's always nice to kind of be left guessing. As I appreciate the fact, like, House of Ashes kind of built to that idea of, oh, is it real or is it not? And they're like, no, oh, it's very real. And, like, this one they decided to go, like, a complete 180, where it's, oh, we're not going to tell you really any, like, there are little supernatural things here and there, but it's not really, you know, really tied to the story and how everything plays out. Like, no, this is rooted in the fact that you're dealing with someone that's actually human. Yeah. It's a very human and very fucked up story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, which d- does put it higher for me. Uh, so, The Devil and Me, 
uh, just to get into the basic premise of this one, it, it basically revolves around H.H. H. Holmes. Yes. For those who aren't familiar, he is a notorious serial killer who uh, killed a bunch of people at the, um, in particular, at the 1983 World's Fair mm-hmm. in Chicago. Uh, he's one of Chicago's most notorious serial killers. Uh, he's also a con artist, which, like, this guy is just the best. Like, yeah, like, he, he's just a walking, just, uh, like, he, he is the psychologist's perfect example of, like, this is my perfect client. Like, I want to just study him. He's He needs Harley Quinn to be his psychiatrist. Well, yeah, he builds a murder castle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, you ever see season seven of Dexter where there's mm-hmm. that guy who dresses like a minotaur? Yep. To hunt people in a, in, a, in a trap house. This is that guy. He just doesn't do the Minotaur bit. Right, he doesn't do the costume. Like, he's 100% the inspiration for Jigsaw. Exactly. From from Saw. Like, yes. he's this kind of a guy. Like, he, you know, this game definitely acknowledges that. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, so, like, the, yeah, so this is all drawn upon the mythology of H.H. H. Holmes. So, in, um, so the prologue is just, you get to see two victims of H.H. H. Holmes, which yes. is a... Nice touch. Yeah, oh, very much so, yeah. It, it really gives you the idea of, like, oh, this is going to be a very creepy environment for you to explore. Yep. And so, uh, a TV show, uh, or a film crew for a TV show uh, in 2022 show up at um, a place to do a piece on Holmes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, the games, the, the game notes I mean here says he killed over 200 people. I'm pretty sure it was... It wasn't quite that high, but no, it was an no, astonishingly no, no. large amount of people. No, it was still a great amount of people. It wasn't, like, that high. Yeah. And, yeah, and then, of course, the, the devil in me thought it was the fact that Holmes claimed he was possessed by the devil. Mm-hmm. And so you end up at a mysterious mur- murder house, which is a replica of the place where Holmes did his murder housing. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of creepy shit. Including, as you mentioned in the original title that we did not get to because we had to lose that episode, that part of the recording, uh, creepy shit with mannequins. <laughs> Which I'm gonna I'm gonna say right off the bat, kind of doesn't make sense because of the craftsmanship. No, no, no. It's it's incredibly detailed, and considering like the people that they crafted, like he he had some really well thought ideas of who he was going to bring into this this murder house. Yeah, and it's like, but it's like he had so much time that they beca- already became dilapidated. Yeah, <laughs> it's the thing that doesn't make sense to me. It's like they want to get the creepy. They want to get the creepy. Like it's been here for ages. Yeah, no, but it looks just like the the director. But it makes no sense that it would be like that. It's just like, and like he's got an attention to detail, but like, all right, but now you're straining credulity. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, what's his nuts? Uh, Ram McMillick already strained credulity in uh, Until Dawn. Until Dawn, yeah. <laughs> the scene where he sticks his head in that hole and is like, this is my body. Yeah. That was already, that was already like, they would be able to tell. <laughs> right? And there's some stuff in here I was like, eh. Anyway, getting off track. So, one of the big things that kind of differentiates this one from the other ones is that there's more of an inventory system. Yeah, yeah. The other ones have had, like, bits where people can be like, I'm picking up this item. Yeah, I have a flashlight. I, or And usually, like, the items that you pick up, you never really see them again until they come into a uh, uh, either a quick time event or a dialogue choice option. Yeah. 
like in Until Dawn. It's like, I have the scissors. That's the only item you pick up for that entire sequence. Right, right. And then all of a sudden, oh, I have to use those scissors to stab something to free myself about three acts later. Yep. So this one, it's a bit more detailed in that there's plenty more items, and which character gets which item can have a huge effect on things. Exactly. Because, um, as we teased, the whole scenario is very jigsaw. Yeah, oh yeah, we get um one of the big reveals of, oh, we're in a murder house, and it's actually going to potentially kill us, is um a very jigsaw, a very saw-like X-trap, where uh, we, we have two bodies, you know, connected, and depending on, I mean, in the case of this, is actually mannequins, but depending on, like, which one had the leverage, you know, of course, the other one would get their, their, their torso chopped off, so... Like, yeah, this person is is a big fan of Saw movies. Yeah, yeah, and, um, it's just, ah, (laughs) it's kind of neat that it's like an interactive Saw movie meets the H.H. Holmes myth. Right. And you've got some decently developed characters, like, the the main crew is pretty well developed, considering. It's it's one of those things that I kind of actually wanted more time with them to really get into the nuances of each character. Because, mm. like, they do kind of a slow burn, and having them interact with each other, and you find out some of the connections before this, and how they feel about each other. Like, I really actually kind of wanted more time with that. Yeah. Because it's um, Charlie Lonnet, which is one of the two more notable celebs, because mm-hmm. that's uh, Paul Kay. Yeah. From Game of Thrones and many other things. Uh, Kate Wilder uh, is played by Jesse Buckley. I'm mm-hmm. trying to remember what the hell I know her from. She's yeah. done a few things. Yeah, no, I know. I'm trying to remember because I looked it up when, of course, when I was actually. Um... Oh, she was in um um. Oh, what the hell is it? Uh, oh, Chernobyl. God, Chernobyl. Can't... Chernobyl. Yep. 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 And there's something else I'm forgetting. Fargo. And Fargo. Yep. That's right. Yep. That's the one I can remember. She's the, she's the crazy nurse. Yep. Yep. It did such a great job. Yeah, that character was memorable. Even yeah. though she was kind of. <laughs> It was an interesting addition. Let me yeah, it really that was. <laughs> and then we've also got, um, yeah, the other three, which are not played by as notable. No, no, and, <laughs> and honestly, it's it's a very, um, it's a very differing levels of talent <laughs> and experience. Yeah. yeah well, well, yeah, because uh, Nikki Patel, okay, experience because she's been on like, she like it's just doing a quick look. It's like oh, Br- British soap opera stuff yeah. like that. I, I, I choose the best of the three of the the like the ones we didn't mention, and yeah. I feel so sorry for her because who, however they did the motion capture with her, they ruined her. Well, let me I can answer that for you. Uh, most of them had a motion capture actor that was separate from the character. Ah, see that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the glaring problems with this one is that they had to have the mocap and the voice recording separate this time. Oh, man. So the mocap actors are credited alongside the voice actors, uh-huh. but the two of them aren't in full. Like, the only one who was on set, apparently, was Jesse Buckley. Yeah, yeah, because I noticed like, they had the big interview section with her in the game. So, yeah. Like, okay, that makes a lot more sense then. Yeah, that's why. It's, yeah, because it's... This game is an improvement on the other ones in quite a few ways, but unfortunately, the voice-to-physical motion... It's glaringly inferior. It's terrible. It really is bad. And, and it's, it gets a little bit better as the game progresses, but, man, those first few hours are so rough. You know what it reminds me of? What? Remember the end of Until Dawn when, like, 
the surviving characters that are optional are all standing in, like, the main area. It's, like, just generic. And it's very awkward. And, like, it looks like the same animation for all of them. Yes. Yeah, that's what that reminds me of. It, just the way they move. It's just, like, it's not quite... It's not as goofy as, like, um, Grand Theft Auto 4, where some of the movements are just ridiculous mm-hmm. compared to what they're saying. But, uh... <laughs> I'm just thinking of that uh, GTA 4 parody from uh, SNL. Where they're oh, just constantly man. moving their arms and nonsense. That was that was a fun parody. Uh, yeah, but I was going to talk a bit more about the gameplay because yeah. there's a couple things that I, I noticed. The Wikipedia article highlighted this, and I did comment on, on at least one of them when we were talking about this game. Remember how I said, "Hey, you can run now." Yeah. Oh my goodness, when that happened, when I hit that button, because okay, in the last two games, and and Little Hope and um and House of Ashes. It has had the walk faster button. So yeah. in the case of the PlayStation, uh, the PlayStation games, it will be L1. So you hold down L1, and it goes from a slow walk to a just a regular paced walk. It's not even brisk. It's just a regular paced walk. That's the walk faster. Now we actually have a jog. So like when that happened, it blew my mind because I never thought that we would have a super massive game with actual jogging. Uh. It's it's nice to actually have that. You yeah, know what I mean? you can climb and shimmy and everything, which is funny because like it feels like this should be the mechanics that should have been in House of Ashes, considering like that was the more you know military based game. Yeah, should have had the more athletic characters doing these things. Uh, but better late looking. than never, I guess. Yeah, I mean they got to use their guns more appropriately. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, that was we, one of the things I like. That's right. No, no, we, no. The, the fire, the actual shooting was really good in that one compared to even like Until Dawn, which they gave you a little sh- uh, a tutorial shooting gallery. Yeah, it was it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. Um, like this one, it's like there's a couple things I really like. Is some of the puzzles are stupidly obtuse. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like there's almost no clue because it's like there's some subtle foreshadowing because there's one scene about two different characters. One of them has to potentially risk suffocating. Mm-hmm. And if you're paying attention, you know one of them has asthma. Right. But you don't get a clear indication that that is the solution to ensure one person survives. Because Especially when it happens, it feels like a situation where, oh, this would not result in a character's demise. Yeah, it's it's like there's a couple of bits like that that are kind of like, as a result, some of the puzzles are... You remember how we complained how God of War was a little too easy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is like the opposite of that, where it's like, okay, open up the FAQ. <laughs> um, and the other thing I wanted to comment on for this one before we move on is... Um, although, I, I don't know if we... There's probably a couple more things we can talk about, but what I wanted to call out was ending fatigue. Yeah. This one has it in spades. Oh, yeah. I don't remember um, House of Ashes or whatever being this exhausting. No, it, it was one of those things where I felt this one had a lot worse of a of a of a, a peak to valley ratio in terms of how they mm. paced it because it felt like to me they peaked a lot. They peaked way too early in the second act. Yeah, and, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah, like it started. You know, it had a nice little build. Showing everyone like okay who, who these characters are, and kind of showing you like oh how scary this could be. Then they get to the point where they find out oh what's really going on in the house, and it kind of falls off from there because then it becomes oh this guy's just Jason Voorhees in a in a, 
and uh, Phantom of the Opera mask. Yeah, I gotta say, the villain of this piece leaves something to be desired. Yeah, and, and the big thing about it for me personally, and that's like the biggest low light when it comes to this game, is like he was fine for a villain, but to me, I thought the main villain would have been the house itself. And well, that's the oh, fine. Oh no, I was gonna say because there are literally dozens of doors that you have to pass as you're moving throughout the hotel. And every one of them, except for the ones that they want you to go into, are locked. So, like, the idea of entering these random rooms and actually stumbling into something that could have a character die, it would have been both frustrating and exciting because, like, no playthrough would have been the same. Yeah, it's... I feel like that it was a real missed opportunity because the actual villain also, the lore that connects him to AJ H. Holmes... Mm-hmm. It's pretty weak. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, a lot of it only comes through collectibles. Yeah. It's like, maybe they should have gone with the supernatural twist, because that would have been a little more interesting. Because it's like, you know, either have it actually be H.H. Holmes somehow, or actually have it be the thing that possessed him, or the thing that drove him insane. Exactly. You know, if you wanted to have it be a lordly. Because they did that with Man of Dad, where it was like, oh, yeah, it was full of crazy gas. Right. Which we never got a full explanation for. No, it still didn't make any sense after all these years. No, maybe it was the vampires. Maybe that was the maybe that's the connection to all of this. It's all the vampires. It's always the vampires. It's always the vampires. This is the kind of thing that bothers me about this thing is that they seemed to want to link it as a season, but like aside from just being four games they really wanted to do, there's not much linking it besides the curator. Right, that's it. Like he's just like, oh, I'm I'm here to tell you a tale, and if you notice, like his. His uh, presentations have reduced for each game. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it wouldn't shock me if they may or may not have to recast him for season two. Well, they kind of, like, give you the illusion at the end, and I won't spoil why and how, but, like, potentially he's not coming back. Yep. Yeah, no point in spoiling that, because, yeah. honestly, it doesn't matter that much. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it was a very interesting. I, I did not expect this to happen to him. And, um, yeah, so. yeah, no, it was, it, it was interesting, but at the time I was like, oh, okay. I don't know, I just felt like there should have been something interesting that happened there, and what happened was not. Yeah. Anyway, um... I, if you, I, I recommend I'm, I'm it torn. over Man of Medan. I, I'm torn, because, like, mm. I wanted... To, like, Little Hope's ending is what wrecks it for me. Yeah, that's fair. And, uh, but, like, from a gameplay perspective, this is the best one. So... Except for the lack of shooting. Yeah, simple. But I, can, I can deal with that because it didn't really necessarily need it for this story. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, de- it's definitely below, below House of Ashes. House of Ashes is the best one of the season so far. I- I'm stuck between that and Little Hope being number two. Honestly, I think I'm going to rank this above Little Hope. Okay, yeah, I- I- I'll probably go with you on that, yeah. And if you don't, that's fine. We were allowed to have different opinions. Oh, no, no, no. I, no like I said, just that ending, Little Hope, man, I, I-, I like the game so much that it just ruined it for me. It, will, it, it kills the replay value. I know, it's really still does. Replay value. And that's like the whole point of these games is to replay and see how things pan out if you do different decisions. You don't yeah. have that option in Little Hope. No, that's the main problem with that yeah. one. House of Ashes, there's plenty of replay value on that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, they really, which is amazing because coming off of Little Hope, I was actually kind of, I was excited and yet kind of turned off thinking that House of Ashes is going to be maybe worse. If not, if not on the same level, it's like, oh no, they surprised me this time, and then came in this one a little bit higher expectation than I should have. Yeah, 
I mean, if we got the game, the additional gameplay quality of life improvements of this one in House of Ashes, that would just flat out be a good game. That would be a great, great supermassive game. Yeah. That would be yeah, right there be... with Until Dawn the Quarry. Well, I think I think it's the best one they've done. It's still, is House of Ashes. I still think it's better than the Quarry or um, okay. Until Dawn. Well, because I think the pacing's the best. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because both of those, since they're more, you know, to a certain extent, triple A versions of what we have here, they they kind of push a little bit further than they need to sometimes, and and especially when you like start replaying the game, it can be a slog trying yeah. to get through until dawn and uh, the quarry. Yeah, although Corey probably still had some of the best twists in terms of deaths. Yeah, oh yeah! Oh yeah! Uh, I mean, you you start playing that game, you would not call who the final girl potentially is. No, no. <laughs> like that one. That, that's that's one of the things I like about that one. Uh, but yeah, no, this one's. If you've liked them up until now, this is definitely not the worst, and but it's probably not the best. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, if you so like if House of Ashes, you you won't outdo that, but. It definitely if you if you hang if you hung on past Man of Medan, you'll enjoy this too. So I know a yeah. lot of people fell off after Man of Medan. Which is understandable. It was not yeah. a great way to start yeah. this series. Especially coming off of Until Dawn to Man of Medan, no, it wasn't wasn't a good look. Well no, uh there was um what was the what was the one they did in between? I thought the it was a with, VR game. No, there was a proper but like they, they kinda of screwed it up because they tried to make people Playing against each other. Okay, I'm the, it's such a generic name. Um, Hidden Agenda. I don't even remember that. Okay, um, real quick. Uh, it's Dexter. You're hunting Dexter. I, and I, I remember it, and I don't remember <laughs> Wow! Yeah, Katie Cassidy hunts Dexter. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. They, and Katie Cassidy as Becky Marnie, which is a terrible name for a Oh, man, yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Yep, yep. Because she's actually decent in that, and the actual... Oh, I forgot, there's a guy named Jack Calvary. <laughs> Most of the names in that game are terrible. <laughs> so what the hell is Switchback? Is that, that's the VR... Oh, it's a VR rail shooter. They're doing another yeah, VR they're, rail yeah, shooter. Yeah, they're doing okay. another rail shooter, yep. Yeah. So we've got, we got that coming, and we've also got uh, Directive 8020. Yeah, which is going to be the sci-fi one. I'm down for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, like I said, they, it, if they can just keep the House of Ashes vibe, I'll be happy. Because, like, actually, considering the like, the big twist of House of Ashes, they could actually tie something together. Yeah. That's the thing about all this. It's like, there's no real recurring element except for the curator. Right. And it really feels like this first season, there could have been something. There could have like, been a lot of stuff to tie this stuff together. Like the Man of Medan gas could have been responsible for the vampires. Yeah. It could have been responsible for the twist on Little Hope, which we're still not going to spoil. Um, and it could have been responsible for the reason uh, the, the the main bad guy in uh, Being possessed. Devlin. Being quote-unquote yeah. possessed. It, it could have all worked. Like, but no. They could have paired that all together somehow. Yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of pairing together. No, yeah. this is, that's a terrible segue. <laughs> <laughs> so we got... Um, Strange it, World. It's not, a, it's not a terrible segue if you're focusing on the controversy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't want to. Because it, it's so um, stupid. That's, that's yeah. it. It's just stupid. Like, it makes no sense. So, Disney has been um, putting out a lot of movies lately. 
and they've been kind of screwing themselves a bit because they've been putting it out same day on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also kind of felt like they've been a bit of a rut lately, sort of. I say that. I mean, Encanto obviously did very well. Yeah, no, I, I think it's one of those things. Just, just like with Marvel, you know, it's just so much, so much back to back. Yeah, because Encanto, uh, oh, Encanto still only made a hundred, two hundred fifty-six million dollars. Really? Huh. Oh, I thought it made it more. Uh, I mean, it was again same day Disney Plus. Mm, okay, okay. So, that, so that's just box office, and that was still twenty twenty one. Okay. But yeah, that's interesting. Um. Despite, so anyway, okay. So Strange World. Um, how do I always explain this? So this was directed by some of the same people who did um, some of their previous. Like Don Hall was one of the guys involved. He also worked on Moana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he worked on Rhea and the Last Dragon, which I think I mentioned before. I liked better than Encanto, but I understand that's probably not the popular opinion. No, that's, that's the popular opinion. <laughs> Message gets me. I don't care how... No, I, I love like Garth Marenghi. I love it. I, I like Garth Marenghi. I know authors who use subtext. They're cowards. <laughs> <laughs> which is actually relevant for this one, because there's some uh, very um, text in this one. Yes. Because I think, I think we are going to talk about that, because... Okay, so... This movie kind of has an identity problem, and I'll explain why. So, and they cite this, I knew, I didn't know about the second thing they mentioned as one of the inspirations, but I knew one of the, because, like, this movie was inspired heavily by uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Yeah, that, and that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, that's, if you're even remotely familiar with that book, uh, when did that come out? 1864? Yeah, because yep. Jules Verne. Yep. You know, Jules Verne, of course, doing all kinds of, like, he did that, he did Mysterious Island, he did From the Earth to the Moon. Uh, 10,000 Leagues of the Sea, or 20,000, whatever it is. Jules Verne did a lot of good adventure stuff in the, 19, in the 1800s. So this is a here, clear homage to that, much like, um, was it, Atlantis, the Lost Empire was. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, I don't know if Don Hall is one of the guys who was, like, worked on that, because I checked his IMDb, and he didn't seem to. Somebody in the creative process probably did, though. It had to. Like, I, I am convinced... Because, like, this has so much that vibe, but feels even less focused. Yes. Because Atlantis, I always say, is a very visually interesting movie, but the focus and the way the protagonist just kind of sucks really um, does that film a disservice. Anyway, but we're not talking about that movie. We're talking about Strange World, which you'll notice I've been kind of meandering about. And that's because... not a lot to this movie. No, no, it's, it's one of those movies where I walked away from it feeling like, oh, that was a fun experience, but it was wholly unremarkable. That's the thing. If it's your first movie, you have a pretty good chance of liking it. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sure your kids, your nieces, your nephews, you show this to them, they haven't seen a lot of movies, they'll probably quite enjoy it. Right, it'll be one of those ones that sticks with them for a long time. Yeah, but... um Nah, man. <laughs> if if you've seen, an, like, I'm going to say 100 plus, you're probably already like, okay. Yeah, I've seen so what this is, what before. It, yeah, yeah, I've seen all these story beats. They also reference King Kong as one of the inspirations to this. I actually don't see it. I, I do and I don't. Yeah. I, I don't want to spoil why I do, because it's like the big revelation. But um, Oh, yeah, I guess okay. Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> But, uh, like I said, if, if, if that's, like, what you're going for, like, I can think of a lot more comparisons than that. Yeah. So the basic premise is there's explorers. Yeah. 
uh, aptly named. Okay, so I, I'm, I don't remember how to pronounce the surname. So the characters, is it Clade? Yeah, Clade. Yep. It is just Clade. Okay. Yep. So we got uh, Jaeger Clade and his son Searcher, which already feels that, phonetically a little awkward. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things like, oh, I'm going to name my son what he should be when he grows up, <laughs> even if it doesn't make any sense for a name. Yeah, like the son's name is actually solid for a protag, Ethan Clade. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, a lot of these characters have names where I'm just like, Callisto Mal. Yeah. <laughs> Meridian. Oh, Gab- Gabrielle Union. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Well, she 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 did not have a lot to work with here. She did not. No. <laughs> So this is this is a movie about a father and a son. Exactly, no, yeah. Even though we have mom the, the trying female, to save the day at one point uh, or another. Yeah, no, the female characters are fine. They're just horribly underdeveloped. Yeah, oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. That like, I, how do I put it? They're well-rounded yet at the same time horribly underdeveloped. Yeah, I mean, they they really are used as, as vehicles to try to emphasize the stories between father and son. Like that's really the whole, the whole main purpose of them being sense things. Yeah. Um, so they're explorers, and one son finds something, and it's like, hey, okay, we can stop exploring now, and the father's like, what? We just found one thing. He's like, well, yeah, we found the thing we were looking for, let's... Let's, let's, let's go home and celebrate. Yeah. He's like, it's, no, like, it's, like that, when you, it's like when you go fishing with your dad, and you actually catch a fish. And your dad's like, that. we don't, we don't just go back because we caught a fish. But dad, I thought we were fishing. No, that's not the point of fishing. <laughs> I've still got... Over half my cooler left. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Open the cooler, see what we got left. So the initial conflict is already kind of stupid. I mean, it obviously pays off later because it's a movie. But the initial, like, the problem is right from the get-go. I'm like, this conflict is kind of dumb. Yeah, oh yeah. And then they don't see each other for 25 years. I'm like, yeah, oh man. This feels like something that like, should have been flipped. And that was the thing like, that confused me because you're thinking like, oh, the... The 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 uh, bullheaded, I'm so invincible young st- son would be the one that's like, oh, I want to keep on searching while father being the smart, experienced individual would be like, no son, we've done what we need to do, let's step back. So they like they already present like the father in this scenario as the irresponsible one. Yeah. And uh, so they find this thing called Pando, mm-hmm. which uh, is oil or fossil fuel. Yep. I'm just because again, this, you know, the, the we text of this say movie. Things, we don't want to say things. Yeah, the text of this movie is that this green glowing thing <laughs> is secretly oil and is destroying us all. Yes. Which I'm just gonna say, glowing green makes me think of uranium. I was gonna say the same thing. Which is kind of confusing the message. I get that. Like again, this is the problem when you when you just make it text. The text now is somehow confusing. Yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, I mean, because without getting too much into it, the whole thing is uh, the thing they, they use as a power source is evil and is going to kill them, so they switch to wind energy. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's like that's that's the moral of the film. I mean, well, one of the morals. Yeah, one of them. Because uh, yeah. the, 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 the main one's about the relationship with the father and son, and it, like we said, it's already kind of confused. Uh, and then, like, the thing is, I'm very torn on this because, on the one hand, they're both super supportive of the air quotes controversial uh, th- fact that Ethan uh, Searcher's son is gay. Yeah. 
And if anything, they could have used that as a metaphor for something, even if they didn't want to, even if they wanted to keep him supportive and, you know, positive about the whole thing, because, like, they don't bat an eye the fact that he's gay. No, no, they, they go right along with it. It's no, no but issue I feel like there was a chance for a, yeah, but I feel like there was a mischance at a metaphor or something there. Yeah, no, it's one of those things, like, it's very weird because that there's no indication as to why there is this implementation, because not necessarily, oh, why is there implementation of a gay character? It was one of those situations, like, they, they felt like it was placed there just to showcase, like, oh, we're accepting of our son on a certain level. Like, we all yeah. are accepting of our children on certain levels. And yet, we still disagree with them on other levels, especially when it comes to potentially their livelihood. So, like, I, I get that point. I, I get that, that little message there, like, oh, we, we're always accepting of our loved ones on a certain level, depending on what we're talking about. And, and, and long, as long as it doesn't affect us to a certain extent, either what we believe they should be. So, I guess that's one thing, like, the implementation of it was, oh, it doesn't necessarily matter because in a searcher's eyes, my son's still a farmer. In my in my uh, in the grandfather's eyes, my grandson is still a young adventurer. <laughs> so it's it's interesting that they went that direction with it, where they were like, oh, they can showcase that he that his sexuality doesn't matter in the scheme, in the grand scheme of a relationship between the father and son, but their inability to understand the progress of oh, this person is becoming their own individual in terms of what they want to do with their life. Beyond, you know, just sexuality is is another aspect. So, yeah, there there's um there's something that could be there that maybe they want to, or maybe I'm just thinking too deeply about it. Well, I'm thinking uh, you, you've been talking to me the whole time, and I have been listening, and and I, and I think you pick up a good point. But the problem is, for the last thirty seconds or so, I've just been realizing that the plot of the the family dynamic of this reminds me of season one of Gullah Gullah Island, ah! where the family was. Where the family was too perfect, and they needed to actually have conflict. Yeah, <laughs> you know, conflict that makes sense. <laughs> I knew once I mentioned because I thought of that. I'm like, James is gonna laugh when I tell him this. Because <laughs> what a, what a, what an amazing reference I suddenly make. <laughs> no, that, that is so perfect. <laughs> this, this, this is the thing. It's like, what if Gullah Gullah Island got an animated reboot in a fantasy world? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's kind of, yeah. So that's kind of the thing. It's like the family dynamic is confused, mm -hmm. and that it's both too wholesome and yet the conflict is kind of dumb. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's ultimately about family understanding each other, which is something we already did better in Encanto. Yes. And Moana. And I mean, a lot of it. Disney's been doing this a lot lately. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the main points of Turning Red as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. Yep. Uh, it's. I mean, Ray, and Rand Last Dragon isn't family. It's you know learning to trust the evil thing, mm -hmm. yeah, which yeah, I, 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 that still felt different than this. Yeah, I don't know. I just uh, and the voice acting is fine, but no, like, no, again, no, no, everybody does a great job. Like you said, some people just don't have you know much to work with, and uh, like I said, a lot of the female characters are just pretty much there as tools to try to emphasize, like, oh, we have to get this relationship between fathers and sons back in, in order. But, uh, yeah, no, it, like I said, once again, I walked away, and I'm like, oh, this is not, this wasn't a bad movie. 
but it's wholly unremarkable. If you like you said, if you've seen more than one or two movies in your life, and more than likely you've seen movies that had uh, very similar storylines or story beats, this will not stand out as anything that's really special. Yeah. And also, they killed Alan Tudyk again. Yes, true. Yep. Basically the same way Wash died. Yes! <laughs> it's not as crap because it's still a Disney movie. <laughs> but when I, was, when I watched that character die, I'm like, was that voiced by Alan Tudyk? I'm like, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> no, it's like, if you just look into show kids in an animated film to, that they and they haven't seen too many films yet, this is actually, they'll probably love this. Oh yeah, you just sit down, uh, like I said, like a four or five year old that just wants to enjoying my nice little animated feature. Like, this is perfectly fine. Yeah. And like I said, the almost the lack of attention that the gay romance has is actually kind of a, a distracting. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just, it just feels natural, which is perfectly fine. But uh, yeah. I, I think it's still just kind of used for a tool as to emphasize, like, oh, the, the acceptance of, of relationships between offsprings and parental figures and, you know, just embracing certain aspects of a kid and not, Embracing other aspects as they try to grow up and become their own person. So, it's yeah, that would have been a good. Co- Sorry, no. What are you saying? I was gonna say it would have been a good conversation to have. Yeah, it would have been. But they, yeah, but they don't talk about it. No, we're just gonna play uh, a fake card game. Yeah, <sighs> which is just disappointing. That's the thing. It's like, you know, they didn't need to be upset about it to make it better, but actually have a conversation about their acceptance of it. Yeah, especially like though, when you you know you introduce a, an older figure. And uh, it's never really emphasized, like, how this character would be so accepting. Cause especially considering, like, where he was during all this time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't go out into the wilderness in 25 years and not be at least, at least a little bigoted when you Yeah, we come back. You've probably been killing some, some I was saying, you, so you've long. Gotten, you, you definitely have gotten, have gotten a little bit more primal at this point. Yeah, yeah. I don't, like, this is the thing. This is the thing. It's like... They wanted to include a character, but they didn't want to draw attention to it, it feels like. Mm-hmm. But they wanted to be, except for, of course, for the good PR. Like, this is the thing. Like, I don't know. I don't want to be negative on this thing that was getting a lot of controversy. But at the same time, I'm pointing out there was a big missed opportunity here. Yeah, it really was, yeah. Yeah. So let's go on to something that was not a missed opportunity. No, not at all. Hot damn, this movie. So this might be the funniest movie of the year. Okay, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I came into this one, and I knew it was going to be, you know, had comedic elements. Uh, it, why wouldn't it? Yeah. But in the first about, what, four or five minutes, there's a, there's a scene where young Al is sitting at the dinner table with his parents. And one of the funniest lines in the entire movie happens right at the beginning. And it's not like it's even the last funny thing. It's just like the beginning of this incredible hill of hilarity. Are you talking about the dad's story? No, not even the dad's story. What the mom says. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) And I was I was spoiled this joke because it's so it's just so it was just so uh, just just blunt. Mm -hmm. Where the mom tells Al, young Al, your father and I have been talking. And we think that you should just stop being who you are and give up on your dreams. <laughs> That's just yeah. such a straight face. Yeah, I know. It's, so this movie, like, just to begin, it's, it's, it's a biopic about Weird Al, <laughs> which takes 
several real things that happened to yes. him. And then also basically t- takes the the premise of Walkhard, and it's like, all right, let's do that, but more absurd, and with this actual real mu- musician. Yes. <laughs> so we get the stuff like that, um, and we do get the real scene of how he buys an accordion, but with the change that his father assaults the accordion salesman. <laughs> Does he actually say no son of mine will poke a party? Yes. Does he say? It's some like he says the no son of mine thing at some point. I forget exactly what he says. Oh man! And he gets caught in an illicit poker party, which is great. It's because uh, it's yeah. Like, this movie is a perfect send up of several musician biopics and just with a bunch of added insanity. Yes. Like they do him just figuring out how to do certain songs very straight-laced and it's pretty great. Yeah, no, it's the fact that like, he emphasizes because he talks about this at the beginning when, we, when he, gets, he gets a teenage uh, Al and he's secretly playing and like, he explains like, oh, I come up with these, these, uh, these parody songs. Yeah. But it takes so much inspiration. Like, it just, it, it, it's just a flash of inspiration. It's not something that I can just figure out, like, out of nowhere and, and do anything, and then my Sharona comes on, and he's just like, okay, I can do it right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, I want to call, okay, I, I gotta call this up. First of all, uh, if you didn't know, Daniel Radcliffe is playing Weird Al. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But, in addition to there being multiple other younger actors for when he's a kid for, like, 15 minutes or so, uh-huh. uh, the real Weird Al still provides his singing voice. Yes, he does, yes, yes. And Diedrich Bader is, for some reason, the narrator who is also Weird Al. Yes. I loved it. It, it, it took me way too long to realize that was Diedrich Bader. Yeah, I, I know. I it wasn't Weird Al. I know. But it was just like, who is that? I know that voice, but I don't want to stop the movie to IMV because I'm laughing too much. Because the only people I knew, I knew like about six people in this movie beforehand. Because I knew Weird Al was going to play one of the Scotty brothers, and Will Forte was the other Scotty uh-huh. brother. And I and like you know some people I recognized right away, like Thomas Lennon plays the accordion salesman and is pitch perfect. Yeah, no, cameo. he's absolutely wonderful for something like this. This film is full of cameos. Yeah, <laughs> some of them are brilliant. Some of them are weird. Uh, one of my favorites is Emo Phillips. Oh yeah, as, um, yeah. Uh, Salvatore Dali. That's pretty on the nose casting, right yes, there. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, other ones I didn't even like. I didn't even realize that was the one of the other. Um, it was the Kiva Schaefer as Alice Cooper. I'm just seeing that now. Uh huh. Uh huh. But of course, you, but of course, you recognize Pat Oswald because he's in everything. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but yeah, like because the, the other core cast members is Evan Rachel Wood. Um, shows up as Madonna. We'll get to her. Yeah. And uh, Rain Wilson is pretty much perfectly cast as Doctor Demento. Oh, he's wonderful as it. Like it, it fits so well. One of the only actors that I think could play a convincing Doctor Demento is David Kay, who we talked about earlier in this. Episode. Yes, yes. Because he, he, I think he visibly looks closer to how Doctor Demento looks, but that's just me. Anyway, um, so okay, where are we going with this? Um, so from there. He he catches the he, he suddenly starts figuring out how to parody songs, and while at a biker bar, does he just make up that song on the spot, or is that just? Yeah, like he 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 goes and performs for the first time at a biker bar, 
uh, which one was it, Rocky Road? Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just immediately Dr. Demento's there, which is already kind of amazing, because if you, Dr. Demento is a guy who walks around in a tuxedo basically yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's still just, like, the absurd scene where it's, like, the record producer in the fancy suit is at the unlikely place. Yes, and not only that, but he has the table right in the corner. Yep. Yep. That part's not true, because apparently what actually happened is he just kind of, like, sent in a tape to the Dr. Demento show or something like that, and mm-hmm. then he got started to get invited, because, like, he used to listen to it all the time. But uh, I do love how they just recreate the record producer happening to be in the audience. Yeah, yeah! <laughs> Remember in Walk Hard, where it was, like, Harold Ramis? Mm-hmm. Same thing. Um, yeah, it's the same. Like, again, if you like Walk Hard and you like Weird Al, you will love this you movie. You will love this. Because uh, it, le- it leads to him meeting Oprah at least three years before her talk show starts. Yes! <laughs> the timeline, that's where the timeline really gets screwy. Because, like, like uh, it starts when he's, like, on the Dodge and Adventure show in 1980, which is, I think, when Another One Bites the Dust mm-hmm. premiered. Although in this one they'd make him do it at a party. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, uh, With Wolfman he's, Jack. Yeah, he's, te- he's tested by Wolfman Jack, played by Jack Black. Yeah, once again, of, just masterful. <laughs> yeah. Well, Wolfman Jack is such an insane persona already. Yeah, exactly. If you are not familiar with Wolfman Jack, uh, just YouTube him. He's wild. Uh, <laughs> very much a character we I miss that we don't have anymore. Yeah. He used to host those stage shows. It was so weird. I've it's seen so some of them. Crazy. It's like, man, the 80s were wild. <laughs> so much cocaine. Yeah. Uh, speaking of cocaine, Al eventually takes hard drugs as he starts hanging out with Madonna. Yes! And it's... Okay, and I love how the reason they meet is because Madonna desperately wants the... The rub. The, Yankovic... the rub. Yeah. Did they call it the rub? No, 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 the, no, the rub. The bump. The bump. Yeah, yeah. Which Because there is the weird Al effect where... Some of the songs he parodies end up less famous than the parodies themselves. Yes, exactly. Yeah, right. And but like his the songs he parodies do also get some replay value as a result. So it's kind of based on a real thing, but of course it's absurd now. And Madonna's like desperately like, I want to be famous, Weird Al, help me. And then of course they start dating. I think Weird Al has gone on record saying they've only met in person once for like forty five yes! seconds. <laughs> but apparently they just have the best correspondence together. Um, and then, of course, they had, I'm not going to give away which songs they do this with, but, um, they, they suggest that some of the songs he writes are, in fact, original songs, and the songs he's actually, like, the real Weird Al is parodying are, in fact, imitations of his uh, original of his songs. songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which just, oh, glorious. Because there's one, there's, there's at least two I can remember. I think they mentioned a third. Because there's the one at the end of the movie, which, of course, is just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the, because they just wanted to do a weird, wholesome ending that then <laughs> I don't want to spoil the ending. No, no, the ending is absolutely incredible. <laughs> this, is so, this is the problem with this movie because there's it's already insane, yeah. <laughs> right? Because he starts he starts banging Madonna. He he gets sad that people think his original song is now or another just another ripoff, and he's, he even says like I don't do parodies anymore. Yeah. Start doing hard drugs because Madonna has a bad influence on him, which is again just an insane sentence to say. Uh, he ends up coming up with some brilliant songs, and then um, so it's the '80s. Drug stuff happens. Yeah, I don't want to keep going. Where I'm, 
I don't want to spoil that part. No, we'll just say we'll just say that a major drug lord in the 1980s was a big fan of Weird Al at that time. Yeah, which again, kind of an homage to. I mean, we we even saw this in uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes, yes. There's always a thing about these drug lords. They always have one actor, one musical act, one just they, one person they, they just they love. gravitate to. Well, because El Chapo, he loved um. Oh, I can't remember her name. Uh, Mexican actress kind of looks like Olivia Munn, but like Mexican. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. She, I don't know. I just I saw her. I know, I know exactly what you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. She may not actually ver- look like Olivia Munn. I just remember her eyes kind of looking mm, like her. So I'm like, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yep, yep. I don't think it's the worst comparison I could have made. Um, anyway. Uh, but yeah, no, this movie's hilarious. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. All right. Hey, so that that first, like, the first five minutes alone, like, the, young Al's interaction with his parents were enough to get me hooked. Mm-hmm. And just never let me go. And then, like, like I said, the ending, one of the best, I will say right now, one of the best endings of any movie <laughs> this year thus far. Mm-hmm. And it's great because it hits all the same cliches you always expect. Uh, one of my favorites is that his first album apparently goes multi-platinum in this universe. Yes! I did look that up. Uh, no. <laughs> and, yeah, it's just... Oh, God. And there's a bunch of cameos we get shout-out to. Um, but, of course, he meets a lot of 80s celebrities, including mm. uh, Andy Warhol, yep. Huey Herman, Divine. Man, how many people actually know who Divine is anymore? I know! <laughs> I didn't know who Tiny Tim was. I had to look that one. No, up. I knew who Tiny Tim was. I definitely knew that. I, 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 that was one of those ones. I was when I saw him. I said the character, whoever got him, the the, uh, the actor, like, they did an okay job. Like, that was almost kind of like disappointed about. They like, really didn't knock that Tiny Tim out of the water. Yeah, Demetri Martin. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was solid. Like you had the look, but it just didn't. Just it was something missing, especially compared to, uh, like I said, like Alice Cooper and. Uh, um, yeah, especially Jack Black with, with, with Wolfman. Oh, yeah, Jack Black with Wolfman is possibly yeah. my favorite cameo, but there's a lot of other good ones. Oh, in there. yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that's one of the more pronounced ones. I mean, I mean you barely. Which one is it? Uh, Paul F. Tompkins playing Gallagher. Yeah, I was, I was just about to mention that. And R.I.P. Gallagher. Yeah, I know, right? That's one of the reasons I wanted to make sure to mention him. Yeah. But, but like, that was pretty good casting. That was a very good casting, yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what John Deacon looks like, so I can't tell you if David uh, Death Melchin uh, was on the nose or not. Is John Deacon the one who wrote "I'm in Love with My Car"? I think so. Uh, my car. Nope, that was a different one. Okay, that was the one that wasn't Brian May or Freddie Mercury. <laughs> uh, apparently, they did want to have uh somebody. Freddie Mercury in the film, but because of a contractual agreement with uh, another one, another one rides the bus. They couldn't do that. Oh, yeah. He's like, okay, you can parody the song, but you can never have a parody Freddie Mercury be featured. Oh, that goes back to the eighties. Yeah, that's that's a shame. Uh, it would have been interesting to see. It really would have been. been. Just flat out get Rami Malek back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, oh, okay. I I did miss the Seth Green cameo. Oh, that's... yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. Apparently, he was a DJ. 
don't, but I don't I remember, that. remember that. No. Again, this movie's full of cameos. Yeah, it really is. Anyway, um, did they make an original song for this movie? Oh no, they totally did because the end credits song. Yes, yes, yep, yep. Don't they make a reference that the song is eligible for Oscar contention? <laughs> oh wait, no. Uh, they didn't make it con- eligible for the Academy Awards. They they made it eligible for the Creative Arts Emmys. Okay. That's why. I was just reading the notes here real quick because I'm like, it's like, I don't want to spoil this. I don't know what else to say. Uh, okay, yeah, the original song is called Now You Know. Yeah. And it, and the other fun trivia thing about this is that some of these songs were actually recorded in a studio for the first time for this movie. Wow. Because, like, uh, what was it? My Sharona or My Bologna or whatever it is? Yeah, um, My Bologna, yeah. One of the, that one or one of the other ones was apparently recorded in a bathroom, uh, not just a random bathroom in the school, like uh, they depict in the movie, but like in a bathroom next to a next to a radio station or something. And another one rides the bus. Apparently, was never recorded in the studio until twenty twenty two. Wow, I know that's the other just neat bit of trivia about this. It's like because he was so just like I'll record this wherever the hell I am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know what else there is to say. No, it's just a, a must-see. It's just... It's got a bunch of homages to, you know, real events. It's got a few tiny kernels of truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the it's the alien story. It's it's not a true story, but it's his story. It's, it's his story. That's the thing. It's his story. He's sticking to it, and I loved it for it. Because, like, he just... It never lets up in terms of embracing the absurdity of just the not only the character but the career that he's created for himself, and um, like just simple things like, like just one thing is once again father interaction, um, trying to find out where his father what his father does as a job at the factory. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a joke that runs throughout the entire movie. Yeah, that's true. Oh, man. Um, oh, and I sh- we should probably mention, this film started as a funnier die sketch like 10 years yes! ago. Yes, yes, and as well as they, like, they just kept talking about it, and everybody was like, oh, when is it actually going to be made into a movie? And they finally did it, uh, with almost none of the cast from the sketch. From the sketch, yeah. But most of the actual plot lines suggested by the sketch made it into the movie. Because, like, him banging Madonna and everything yep. was in there. Uh, but it was Aaron Paul as Al, and uh, Olivia Wilde was uh, Madonna. Mm-hmm. God, she's got a good sense of humor about this. Because I, I was when I when I saw that, I was like, "How's Madonna gonna react?" To yeah, this? that's be the end of this joke. Thank God she finds that funny. Hey, that's borderline problematic. Anyway, um, I think we can wrap it up. Yeah, in the wrong high note, definitely. Sorry, that's the end of on a high note. Yeah. No, no. Watch this if you haven't yet. If you have Roku, if you don't, I'm sure you can find a way. Just, just It gives you such joy. It really does. If I have a chance, I'm going to show this to my parents over the Christmas season. Yeah, definitely. Season. Yeah. <laughs> Mom, Dad, it's Christmas Eve. Can we gather around the TV in the hotel room? This is our new Christmas tradition. <laughs> oh, what a tradition. Mm. All right. Well, thank you as always for oh, being here, James. Oh, it's always my pleasure, man.
technically twice, even though the first recording lasted less than five minutes. <laughs> Man, I gotta do some driver updates. I just, mm. uh, yeah, like I said, next episode is gonna be uh, we're gonna be recapping our some other TV shows of 2022, including our favorites. Uh, we saw some Golden Globe nominations, so we can maybe talk yeah, about oh, stuff yeah. that got snubbed. Yeah. There's there's some anime I wanted to talk about that we didn't really talk about this year. And then um, Walking Dead, we're, we're going to comment on the fact that it's now over. Yep. And I love how neither one of us is caught up. <laughs> we can get into that more next time. But until then, uh, just remember, your kid is sneaking out to an illegal poker party. That's no good. Better get him a job at the factory. Yep. What job it is, but we'll find well, out. You'll find out once it's all working at the factory. Yeah, they don't understand. Da, 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 da.